Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHerCon is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. When you're negotiating the lease, you can't always get that. So if you often use the word reasonable, it's very difficult to define. It forces the parties to act reasonably and to compromise. Best ever listeners, before we get into today's episode, I want to mention Trevor McGregor. Trevor is a real estate results coach. I've been paying him and working with him for years now. He actually is responsible for giving me the idea to do a podcast. So it's not only about transactions that he gives advice on how to find more deals, how to make more money, but also how to build a holistic plan around your real estate entrepreneurship endeavors. That's what I love about working with Trevor, that and being held accountable for what I say I'm going to do and actually making sure that I follow through and do it. I feel like I'm a pretty results-oriented, accountable kind of person, but it's always nice to have someone who's there guiding you along the way and giving you strategy as well as psychology tips for how to deal with you know the things that come up as a real estate entrepreneur. Trevor has made a wonderful offer for the best ever listeners, and that is that he's offering a free coaching session. Go to coachwithtrevor.com. That's C-O-A-C-H-W-I-T-H-T-R-E-V-O-R.com. Highly recommend him. I've worked with him before. I'm currently working with him right now as my business, as my real estate investing coach. Highly recommend you do the same. Take him up on his offer. Get a free coaching session. Coachwithtrevor.com. Best ever listeners. Hello, hello. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless, and this is a show where we cut out all that fluffy stuff. We don't get into it. We only talk about the real estate insights that move your business forward. We've spoken to Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad Poor Dad, uh, let's see, Barbara Corcoran. You'll find her on Shark Tank, among other places, and many other successful real estate professionals and entrepreneurs. And with us today, we've got Howard Klein. How are you doing, Howard? I am doing fine. How are you doing, Joe? I'm doing very well, my friend. And a little bit about Howard, and then he'll get into it. He has been involved in commercial real estate for over 39 years as an attorney, a broker, an arbitrator, and now a radio host and founder of CRE Radio and TV. He's been doing that since 2012. You can find him at his website as well as obviously on his radio show, but go check out CREradio.com. With that being said, well, you know what? And he's based in Ladera Ranch, California. I want to put that in there because 
I know based on the research I've done, state with the most listeners is California. So shout out to everybody. Shout out to everybody <laughs> out there in California. Not shut up, but shout out <laughs> to everybody out there in California. But that being said, Howard, do you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? I'm very technologically savvy. It just fascinates me. So we're doing um, not only the radio show, live podcasting, recorded podcasting, we're doing also live video where the audience can interact with us and ask questions and uh, can be seen online while we're presenting. I'm totally fascinated by the new technology. I'm also still doing uh, commercial real estate lease negotiations and drafting. I've been doing that a long, 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 long time. And uh, I enjoy all of that, including the sun that's in my face right now. <laughs> I want to talk about a couple things. One, your background as an attorney, also your radio show and how that came about. So let's first talk about your background as an attorney and in real estate, because I think that will lead into how you ended up being the host of CRE Radio and TV. What has been your focus? I mean, you mentioned that you're, you're still doing commercial lease negotiations and drafting. Has that been uh, primarily your focus in real estate or has that been in addition to other things and it's just kind of refined itself over the years? The uh, lease negotiations and drafting is, uh, is, I would say over the term of my career, maybe 50% of what I've done. I've also done a lot of litigation, uh, larger evictions, larger rent collections in the 100,000 plus range commercial leases tend to have larger amount of damages. So I, I have not only the experience negotiating the leases, but I have the experience of dealing with problems relating to leases when they get into court. So uh, I'd like to say that that additional litigation experience helps me draft the leases because I'm anticipating the problems that, are, that the attorneys have after problems arise. And I, and I try to write the leases to get the parties to avoid getting to lawyers because, frankly, when you have to get to a lawyer, it's going to cost you a lot more than what you want to spend. And that's just part of life. My background, other than the first two or three years, I uh, was fortunate enough to get a, a position as general counsel for a supermarket chain, Big Bear Markets, where the principal of the company owned all of the shopping centers that the supermarkets were in. And he also owned a considerable amount of uh, apartment complexes. So that's where I really cut my teeth in commercial real estate. I then moved to New York, became a tenant rep in New York City. My beat was Park Avenue. So I learned a lot about the real estate business from the perspective of brokers having to have to walk 50-story buildings, trying to get through the receptionist and trying to get to the decision maker, follow up with telephone calls, etc. I did some of that again when I moved back to California in the mid-80s. I then became um, general counsel and director of real estate for a vocational school chain that had uh, locations throughout the country. 
So I actually found the locations utilizing my broker experience, negotiated the deal, and then I started adding to the construction aspects of um, building out spaces. Uh, And it was always very interesting learning how different regions of the country handle leases and how the leases differ from location to location. And then I've had a number of other general counsel positions where I often dealt with real estate and in my law practice where I've represented um, uh, insurance companies and the RTC in the 90s, uh, mostly lenders after they foreclosed. And most recently, I've done a lot of work for a um, major special servicer after they foreclosed. When you were referencing, you know, anticipating the problems that are going to come up before they come up, that way you know, attorneys don't have to be involved as it relates to commercial leases and drafting them up. What are some of those problems that you're anticipating? Contrary to what a lot of other people like to do, I like to use the word reasonable in leases as much as I can. It really depends upon who I'm representing. If I'm representing the landlord, Often I like to use uh, words such as in the landlord's complete discretion, complete unfettered discretion. So the landlord could do whatever they want to do. And that's the general concept in that language. When you're negotiating the lease, you can't always get that. So if you often use the word reasonable, it's very difficult to define. I believe that it forces the parties to act reasonably and to compromise and get things done because if they don't act reasonably, they take a major risk walking into court and having the judge tell them what the judge thinks is reasonable. Hmm. And, and that's usually how I advise people when I use the term reasonable and when they come to me after there's a problem. It's like I tell them, okay, here in the lease it says the parties need to act reasonably. What do you believe is reasonable? Now, what do you think the judge is going to say is reasonable? (laughs) It actually tends to, I think, get the parties to resolve their issues without going to court, which is really the ideal. Just to make sure I heard it right, which I, I, I think I did, that's if you are representing the entity or the company that's leasing it from the landlord, right? That's usually the position that you're in. You want the landlord to act reasonably. So there are a lot of decisions that the landlord would like to make on their own. If it's retail property or even office, the landlord often reserves the right to move the tenant if it's necessary. So if it's a multi-floor tenant space and the landlord needs a full floor and there's a space on two or three floors above, usually the landlord's lease will allow the landlord to move the tenant. And there's some discretion that is often given to the landlord. Well, in that particular case, I don't want the discretion. Maybe that's not the best example, but I always want the landlord to act reasonably. Do you have an example of when you had reasonably in the contract and both sides couldn't agree to what that was and then it went to court and what the judge said? Probably most instances when I've been in court, um, 
I would have to think about that, and I'm a little reluctant because as an attorney, I can talk about some cases, but I have to be careful about how much confidential information that I can disclose. Ah, yeah, I don't don't want you to get you in trouble. (laughs) Yeah, and I don't want to use that as an excuse, but I would say there's a great amount of the litigation cases relate to what the landlord or the tenant can reasonably do. And in, in California in particular, there are instances where the landlord, yeah, maybe I can talk about this one. This wasn't an instance in which the landlord had reasonable discretion. Actually, this was an instance, and you see this sometimes in leases uh, on assignment or sublease provisions. Often, the landlord is uh, given the discretion to approve or disapprove an assignment or sublease. Uh, And that's just the plain language. Okay. But usually the language is that the landlord has to either approve or disapprove reasonably, which is kind of difficult. In court, we have some general guidelines that we like to fit within, such as uh, whether or not the finances and the income of the assignee is as good, if not better, than the assignor. But we had a a situation in which uh, the landlord, and this is unusual, would approve only within its complete discretion. And the landlord could just say, no, I don't want this kind of tenant. And my tenant um, tried to, their business was losing like $75,000 per month. They tried to propose two or three replacement tenants whose finances were better than the the particular tenant that I was representing, and the landlord kept on turning it down and wouldn't give a reason. He said, I don't have to give you any reason. It's in my complete discretion. So we stopped paying rent. The landlord ended up terminating the lease and then sued my client for rent through the end of the term of the lease, unfortunately for the landlord. The problem was that his remedies were statutory remedies under those circumstances. You can get future rents, etc. And those statutory remedies required the landlord to mitigate its damages. So as soon as the landlord terminated the lease, we moved out and then we presented the same tenants again. And while the lease said that the landlord did not have to act reasonably, the statutory obligations said that they did and they wouldn't be able to collect damages. And we resolved the case that way. When you are... Uh, doing- Was that too complicated? No, I, I don't think so. With the story of what you were saying earlier, the rent collections of over you know $100,000 plus range where you're doing a lot of lit- litigation... When a new client comes across your desk and you you're ha- you know you, you represent them and it's that type of rent collection what's usually going on if you can attempt to generalize or tell the specific story whichever one it's a little difficult to take every instance it seems that i always get these unique cases but when a typical uh, client and I only have a few clients who feed me a lot of 
business. I know who the client is. I know how they operate. I'm comfortable with their operations, which doesn't mean that they can't make mistakes. and doesn't mean that their property managers and asset managers can't make mistakes. But I know that they intend to do well by the property and the tenants and their clients. So I know that I'm dealing with someone that is a respectable business person. That's my first step is, look, I I don't want to really represent a schmo. uh, And I don't want to argue the wrong side of the argument. That doesn't mean that my clients can't make mistakes. And I can't try to remedy the situation as well as possible. But I care about whether or not my clients are good clients or not good clients. And I would say in a down economy, particularly when I'm representing uh, the special servicer who has purchased the property after foreclosure, a lot of times it's mismanagement of, for example, a shopping center by the borrower. So there are some things that need remedying and cleaning up and touching up the property, etc. cetera. Uh, but in most instances, it's just a business that's failing for whatever reason. The tenants are not necessarily bad people. The business is not necessarily a bad business. It's not necessarily mismanaged. It's just the way of life. Not everybody's business does well and survives and can pay rent. In those instances, frankly, I try to convince them to make life as easy as possible for both sides, both the landlord and tenant. And where you're dealing with a tenant who gets that, wherever you can, you give them the benefit of the doubt. My client doesn't like chasing people. When we chase people, it's usually people who are lying and cheating and have assets and are trying to hide those assets. Those are the ones that we tend to go after very hard and are somewhat relentless. My one major client calls me a junkyard dog. And when he wants me to go after someone, he just sends me an email with the word woof. (laughs) That's honest to goodness truth. (laughs) And I'm not going to use his name, but if he ever hears this, he's going to know it. And he's going to laugh. And I see, I don't, I don't perceive myself that way. I perceive myself as a very reasonable person. But if you cheat and lie and steal and you have assets, then we are going to go through considerable effort. I had a case in the 90s where we chased a real estate developer for five years We had gotten a judgment, and what he had done was that we had a receiver put in place with an order allowing our receiver to take over the property, and we were entitled to all of the business accounts of the borrower. This was for a shopping center. And what the borrower did is, right after being served with the paperwork, he wrote a check for $300,000 took it over to a bank where his daughter worked, had her cash the check and give him $300,000. And there was video of him driving around with money in the trunk of his car, giving money to his certain creditors that he wanted to have. And we ended up getting a judgment, 
not only against him, but his wife and his daughter. And I felt that that was really despicable conduct, putting your daughter in that position. And, uh, of course, he said, well, I've got no assets. And we chased him and deposed his mother and his wife and his father and his kids until I finally got enough people lying on the record where he ultimately ended up paying my client over $800,000 on a $300,000 judgment. That's my famous case. Wow. That's, that is a, that's fascinating just to, to hear the dynamics behind that. And with, with 800K on a 300K case, is that just attorney fees plus what? Attorney's time, fees. Loss, loss of business. Well, it's, it's attorney's fees. It's interest at the rate of 10% per annum. And when you renew a judgment in California, you actually, after a certain point, you actually compound your interest. So if you accumulate another $200,000 worth of interest and then you renew your judgment, the new 10% interest is on the principal and the interest that had already accrued. Mm. And he deserved every bit of what he got. And see, in that particular case, I'm not sure how much my clients spent. Actually, I know how much they spent, but I'm not going to say it. But they they spent a considerable amount of attorney's fees chasing this guy for five years. And they wouldn't have done that unless we honestly believed that we were going to collect, not just chase, and that this was the kind of person that deserved it. And while this was a big company... You know, big companies are run by human beings, and human beings have emotions, and that's part of the dynamics of uh, chasing someone. Based on your experience, what is your best advice ever for real estate investors? <laughs> well, I have two advices. Try to avoid getting in litigation. It, it, I mean, sometimes you have to, and I've made half of my living doing that. Uh, it will always cost you more than you want to spend. And um, the other thing is over the last five years, I've been doing a lot of work post foreclosure, you know, for the buyers of foreclosed property, which are usually the lenders. And, uh, the scariest thing that I've seen from leases that were written from about 2000 and on was there was a, a general philosophy that you just buy the property and you will make so much money as property increased in value. You didn't have to worry about due diligence and the specifics and how solid the tenant was and whether or not the business of owning the property made financial sense. And of course, when the downturn occurred, people who didn't pay attention to sound business judgment, people who didn't do due diligence on properties, they may have bought a property and never looked at any of the leases, never looked into whether or not the tenants were of any value whatsoever. Those were the, the borrowers who failed during the downturn. And uh, I can't tell you how many leases I saw where the they got a guarantee for the lease and the guarantor 
lived in China and had no assets in the United States or lived in Korea or India. And this perhaps is where it helps, where you have a litigator who helps write the lease. Look, I know that a guarantor who lives in China and has no assets in the United States, the likelihood of ever collecting is... I know, I know that too. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, people... I don't need to pay you. I, I realize that too. I guess it's just like looking for it, right? Oh, it's just... Well, first of all, I mean, I wouldn't even know how to do it because at that point in time, if I have to go to China to collect, the cost of collection has got to be so great that it won't make any sense going after the tenant, even if you find assets. So it did just, and I can't tell you how many instances of that I've seen over the last five or six years. And I'm going, what were these people thinking? And what it was, was they weren't thinking. They just signed a lease, money was coming in, and I'm not going to worry about, well, why have a guarantee if it's worthless? Really quickly, I want to ask you about your show, and then we'll get into the lightning round. You started the show in 2010, right? 2010? Right. Okay. What benefits from a business standpoint have you gotten from being a host of the show? The major benefit is associating with people of influence. And uh, secondarily would be the knowledge that I've gained from interviewing other people with uh, a great deal of knowledge. Uh, I have met, as, as you all know, you, you meet a lot of people and just meeting and being known by a lot of people will ultimately have a benefit to you. There's the direct benefit, if you work on this, of getting additional business. I'm a huge fan of social media. The thing is with my radio show, we really made it a standalone project. Uh, the Originally, the idea was for me to interview people. And, you know, once I'm talking with someone, I'd go, they're mine. They'll become a client. But after the first two or three months, we decided that this was going to be a profit-making operation. And we weren't going to use it to get legal business for me. And now, actually, I'm beginning to do that. So normally you would have had this transition from meeting people to business. And I think if you do it really well, and you could probably speak to this better than me, if you do it well, you will pick up lots of business. And I know a lot of real estate people who do videos and uh, Alan Buchanan is one in particular, does Tuesday traffic tips. And he's gotten a bunch of people just from other brokers in other states that he's associated with through social media. So the radio business, um, if handled properly, can bring you in business and it just gives you good contacts. And if you're a broker, having contacts is the ultimate. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Sure. All right, first a quick word from our best ever partners. Do you want to learn more about turnkey property investment? Then I would go check out ohiocashflow.com. The founder, Angelo Ramora, has been on the show multiple times, both for Situation Saturday as well as sharing his advice. You can check out his advice episode 
52, and you can check out his Situation Saturday where he talks about some mistakes he made in episode 410. This guy calls himself the real estate dingo. I mean, he's very entertaining. Go to ohiocashflow.com, and you're you're able to get a turnkey property investment ebook for free by going to ohiocashflow.com. Howard, what's the best ever book you've read? Start with why. Is that with Simon? Simon yes. Sinek? Yes. Best ever personal growth experience, and what'd you learn from it? Hmm. Um, probably, you know, of course I've had quite a few, but I think that, um, when I ran for president of my college at, uh, State University at Oneonta, I lost miserably and I realized how much you need to rely upon other people and not try to do everything yourself. Best ever client deal or personal deal you've been involved in? Best ever client deal was um, working. We had a situation, I won't say which client, in Washington, D.C. with the Department of Education. And I went out and found two law firms. I also used both law firms and personal experience to coordinating getting to the right person. And we actually met with Wendell Wilkie III, who was at the time the director of education or the lead counsel for the U.S. Department of Education. Using these people, we went in, we planned out our meeting. We had one meeting with these people. I had these brilliant attorneys who made me feel inadequate because they were so damn smart. And... We walked in, we got exactly what we wanted when we walked out, and we all looked at each other after (laughs) we walked out of the building and said, that was perfect, perfect. (laughs) It couldn't have been better planned. And what I realized was, although I probably wasn't as smart as these great lawyers, I was the one who put it all together. And so there was a reason for me to be there. Best ever way you like to give back? I like helping people. You know, um, I think that what you're doing is uh, exactly what I like to do. You associate with other people. Interviewing me, it helps me and it helps you. And you're the one who tracked me down and uh, most likely will have you on my show. And uh, I think that's a lot of what social media is about, is if you go out and you help others, it's going to come back. What would you say is the biggest mistake you've made in real estate or you know, in any of your ventures professionally? Biggest mistake? Well, I don't know that it's the biggest mistake, but I jokingly refer to how not stupid (laughs) but how wrong I can be and some people think that I'm a pretty smart dude but you know sometimes I could just be so wrong it's earth shattering I had a client who had a coffee shop this was around 1991 
And it, the shopping center was, was doing very well, but the coffee shop didn't do well. So we got rid of the coffee shop and they were finding a replacement tenant. And uh, they tell me that they've got this new coffee vendor that is kind of, you know, just have this big business of coffee houses all over the place. And I, you know, he told me what it was. I looked at the plan and I said, this is the dumbest thing I ever heard. <laughs> and of course it was Starbucks. <laughs> it was the first Starbucks in, in Orange County. And to this day I go, how could you have been so wrong? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I guess now I have to ask, Throughout our conversation today, is there anything perhaps that you've been so earth shattering wrong about that we should do the opposite that you're mentioning? <laughs> mm. Maybe never use the word reasonable if we are <laughs> <laughs> if we're not the landlord or if we are the landlord, always use the word reasonable. <laughs> well, I, I don't think the word re- I don't think there's a hard fast rule to using it, uh, right. and and th- and that's the problem that I have with. Is that I have to sit down, I have to understand the client, and I have to understand, you know, whether the client is the tenant or the landlord. I have to understand both sides before I even delve into using that word. Because if you use the word reasonable and you know that the other side is never going to be reasonable, <laughs> then maybe you just don't want to do that. So uh, there's a caveat to that. When I recognize the things that I do well and the things that I don't do well, I have a very inquisitive mind, and I'm always chasing the uh, shooting star passing by, as, as one friend calls it. So I'm always learning new things, and you've got to live your life learning new things. But when I read the book, uh, Steve Jobs, one of the things that I recognize, and I say one, that the differences between Steve Jobs and myself was that Steve Jobs really had the ability to focus on two or three things and get them done. And I have a tendency to move on. I have a tendency to go, wow, look at that great idea. So I, I have to work at great ideas and sticking with them. And that's what I would recommend is always be open to new ideas but remain focused. That's great. I love that. Well, Howard, you certainly have stuck to a lot of great ideas. I mean, clearly throughout your decorated career and then also launching the radio show, CRE Radio and TV. Uh, Before I talk about the things I've learned in our conversation, what's the best ever place the best ever listeners can reach you? It would be uh, www.creradio.com. Well, thank you again for being on the show and sharing your advice with the best ever listeners. And boy, I just love these stories. I, I could just like, I, I could just like come to your office and sit down on the floor Indian style, and then you just start talking, <laughs> and telling me stories. I just eat this, eat this up. Really enjoyed the insights and the learnings behind the stories. We talked about the word reasonable, using that in contracts at your discretion when it makes sense. Disclaimers are out there, but the end result is that that typically can be a benefit and avoid help avoid litigation and really encourage both sides to figure out the solution so that they don't leave it up to interpretation for the judge and that ties into one of your pieces of best ever advice which is try to avoid getting in litigation this is applicable to not only you know commercial leases but any type of real estate or 
quite frankly, life probably because it will always cost you more than what you want to spend, as you mentioned. And um, then the you know the power of having a platform like you've created and meeting people of influence and learning and connecting and I, I love how you got into at the at the very end your really self reflection and the advice that you have on work on great ideas but also make sure you stick to them so keep your eyes open for different opportunities but stay focused on certain things that can take you where you want to go and that ties into your best ever book uh, start with the why by Simon Sinek wonderful TED talk if best ever listeners if you haven't seen it then, then de- definitely you got to go watch that and then you'll go buy his book I haven't read his book but I've read the t- I've listened to the TED talk and I shall buy the book as well so thank oh. you again if you'd like to, I can give you the book as a gift. It was earth-changing for me. It really yeah. was. Wonderful book. Well, appreciate it. And best ever listeners, go listen to creradio.com. Go to his website. You'll hear some amazing interviews. You'll see how snappy of a dresser Howard is. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it'll put a smile on your face. Uh, that's for sure. And you'll get a lot of really good information as well. Thanks for being on the show and have a best ever week. We'll talk to you soon, Howard. Yes. Thank you very much, Joe. And thank you for uh, having me as the interviewee. It was a nice change of pace for me. And and let's make sure we get in touch. And I have you on my show and I have a link to this interview. Sounds great. Do you want to learn more about turnkey property investment? Then I would go check out ohiocashflow.com. The founder, Angelo Ramora, has been on the show multiple times, both for Situation Saturday as well as sharing his advice. You can check out his advice, episode 52, and you can check out his Situation Saturday, where he talks about some mistakes he made in episode 410. This guy calls himself the real estate dingo. I mean, he's very entertaining. Go to ohiocashflow.com, and you're you're able to get a turnkey property investment ebook for free by going to ohiocashflow.com.